Hey there, I hope you're well. Thank you for joining me once again on the Think Curiously podcast. You're very welcome to this episode. Now, if you've listened before, you'll know that since around June of this year, and that's 2021, just for reference, in case you're tuning in sometime in the future. And that's the thing about podcasting, and something that I wasn't really aware of when I first started out, is that I could be sat here having a conversation, talking into a microphone, relating it to present day events without any thought to the fact that you might be listening a few months, a few weeks, even a few years, hopefully a few years that the podcast is still going from when this was recorded. But anyway, just uh, I got a bit sidetracked there. I've been on a somewhat of a poetic journey uh, over the last three or four months. Like I said, if you've listened before, you'll know that. If not, then that's that's where I've been with that. I've been looking at poetry. I've been studying it. I've been listening to poems, writing some of my own, deleting others, and producing a few that I've released on social media. But I've never really given any context, or never really given a deep context, I should say, behind uh, any of the poems I've written. I've done a little bit on Acceptance and Stand Tall, which were released a few months ago. But I haven't really dived into the to the why of the phrasing and the words and why I've I've used certain questions within within the poetry itself. So I'm going to do that today, uh, and I guess I wanted to make this episode just really to to do that and bring the the understanding, I suppose, of of each of the lines and each of the verses uh, to life. And uh, before I essentially, I was going to say there before I ramble any further. I think I've just been rambling for the last seventy odd episodes. <laughs> But uh, I'm going to let you hear the, the poem in question for this episode, and that is called Darkness. And then we'll discuss it sort of phrase by phrase, um, not really phrase by phrase, paragraph by paragraph, I suppose. Haven't you ever wondered why some get to live whilst others are removed from earth, suddenly without warning like some higher power has decided to leave us mourning? It just doesn't add up. When society beats us into a pulp, we act surprised when others feel deprived of a life worth living so they end up being removed from the living. Our body is the physical commodity that we all carry with us. Our soul, I believe, is separated but remains robust. An attempt on one's life is not weak-minded. It serves for us to be reminded that damage to the mind can leave us blinded to the wonders of the world. Just as the slightest damage to the wings of a butterfly will affect its ability to fly, the very act upon which it relies to keep alive. A damaged mind will in time be repaired, but we must be prepared for the hardship that will ensue. The kind of hardship that's not plain sailing, like a ship sailing on angry seas. When just past the horizon, there's brighter skies and calmer seas. I've heard it been said before that a calm sea never made a skillful sailor, and to that I compare the sea to life and the sailor to you. Marcus Aurelius once said, Think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take what's left and live it properly. What doesn't transmit light creates its own darkness. Just as the light pushes out darkness, I ask what sparks this? What spark lights the ignition to reinvention? Why does this reinvention live outside of our comprehension? Think about it like this. When the light of life is close to being extinguished, it flickers unpredictably in an unplanned dance serving to provide one last chance. What keeps it alight? Is it the fight to not let the darkness descend in an attempt to cancel the end of a life? Is it memories being passed to the conscious, throwing fuel to the fire, allowing time for those memories to be admired? And that this admiration for memories provides an incentive to keep fighting whilst providing hope that days just like this can once again still exist? As those memories fight their way to the fore, they see the light shine from under the proverbial door, lighting the path along the way, moving towards a better day. In their own individualized ways, are these the sparks that help light the ignition to reinvention? Now let's turn our attentions to that reinvention. 
A life lived cannot be unlived, and to move forward one must be able to accept the sorrow and once again borrow from the Stoics. To have the serenity to accept the things that can't be changed, live with the propensity to change the things that can't be changed, and with the wisdom to know the difference. Still remember, you're not a victim. Will we ever know the answers? I guess not, but let's not forget that by stigmatizing and stereotyping, like mass characterization just as deadly as deforestation, it will leave our ground charred and our hearts scarred. I'm guessing that the first thing that will have jumped out uh, to you is the references that I make throughout the poem that relate to suicide and how mental illness is often misunderstood. For example, the opening line of the poem is, haven't you ever wondered why some get to live whilst others are removed from earth, suddenly without warning like some higher power has decided to leave us mourning? Now, what I'm doing is I'm both stating that life is unfair, as well as asking, who decides if we should live? If there is a higher power, then what gives them the right to make those decisions? If only the good are taken, then why create a world where only the bad survive? Because I've heard that plenty of times before when relatives or even friends' relatives have passed away and, you know, God only takes the good ones. (laughs) What an absurd thing to say. If that's the case, then he's going to leave this world with just the bad ones. It just doesn't make any sense. And essentially then, I piggyback on that thought process and ask that if the above is true and if someone doesn't want to be on earth, For example, they may feel like they've had enough of being part of this world, maybe the pressures of society are too much to handle. Then why do we get surprised when they decide to remove themselves from their living when society has been beating them with words and actions and behaviours for as long as they've existed, or at least for as long as they can remember? Um, it's, It's extremely contradictory for society on one hand to tell someone that they don't fit or that they don't belong and then feel saddened when they're no longer here. And I guess that's what I mean in the next paragraph when I say, When society beats us into a pulp, we act surprised when others feel deprived of a life worth living so they end up being removed from the living. And I constructed the next two paragraphs from then onwards to both highlight the fact that the physical body is only part of you that the world sees, right? They only ever see you, right? Your skin, your, your physical makeup. They don't really see who you really are. The legacy that you leave, the connections that you make with others, that's, for me, that's all part of your soul. You can't physically touch that, but you can certainly feel that. And I wanted really to bring that to the fore because we often, society will often lambast or put us into boxes or categorize us based upon what we look like, right? We've got it by hair color, we've got it by skin color, we've got it by, you know, our language and and how we speak. But essentially, the parts of you that can't be seen, who you really are, the legacy, the non-physical legacy that you leave behind. So I'm not talking about artists leaving art or I'm not talking about musicians leaving music. I'm talking about stuff that you can't physically touch, but you can actually feel. And the following paragraph then dives headfirst at the problem of misunderstanding surrounding mental health. The verse is pretty self-explanatory, but I wanted to highlight the importance of the mind in all that we do. We simply can't function without it. That's why I compared the wings of the butterfly, because a butterfly physically needs those wings to survive. And just like our mental health, they are fragile and can be easily damaged. With that said, I wanted to further highlight that the one strength that the mind has over the wings of a butterfly is 
that the mind can be repaired. Now, I'm sure the wings of a butterfly can be repaired to a certain extent, but they will never function as effectively as they did do beforehand. And I actually think that the following paragraph is probably the most... My my favourite that I've written to date, sorry, my... I wouldn't say just the paragraph itself, probably the surrounding paragraphs to the main paragraph. So I've said that our body is a physical commodity that we carry with us. Our soul, I believe, is separated but remains robust. And here's my favourite paragraph. An attempt on one's life is not weak-minded. It serves for us to be reminded that damage to the mind can leave us blinded to the wonders of the world. Just as the slightest damage to the wings of a butterfly will affect its ability to fly, the very act upon which it relies to keep alive, a damaged mind will in time be repaired, but we must be prepared for the hardship that will ensue. <laughs> and I, I'm, as I'm speaking to you and I'm reciting that, it's, it brings back those memories that I had when I first sat down to write this poem. This poem was written from, pers- not personal experience of suicide, but personal, uh, for of, of close family members who have been through that um, recently and and a close family friend who unfortunately succeeded in taking their own life last year. All of those emotions and thoughts and feelings and experiences were all wrapped up in, in what I'm looking at now, what, seven, eight lines of even that? And uh, I guess it's, it's probably my favourite because I think it's the most powerful. Um, and when I talk about that hardship, it, it's possible to overcome hardship that you face in life and I guess we've all came across some kind of hardship in our past and we some of us may look upon that as as being the thing that made us, the thing that, that got us back up on our feet again and, and made us push forward and, and, and give us the strength to continue. Other people may feel that the hardship that they've ensued has kind of kept them in in one place. They haven't really been able to, to shake free from that. But what I'm saying is that we've all, we've all faced hardship. It just comes down now to understanding how we perceive it, I guess. And I wanted to use the visual of an angry sea as a representation as life, but also to remember that experience builds our competency to handle such hard times, just like the skilled sailor can navigate an angry sea. And the reason why I used the analogy, that was part of it, but the reason why I used used that analogy as well, because I read that quote, it must have been about two or three years ago. And you know the way you read something, it it must just resonate with you, it just stays with you. And without any hassle of having to memorise where where you've read it or memorized line by line what it, it means or what it says, it just sticks. It's just there. You read it once and all of a sudden you can recite it straight off the bat. And that's that's one of those. And it came forward whenever I was thinking about, right, how do we overcome those hardships? How do we use those hardships as something that will motivate us to push us forward, to keep us going, to show us that, you know what, things do get tough, but we do have it in us to get beyond the tough times. But in order to do that, we need to experience it because we can't build our competency at those experiences, those hard times in our life, if we've never experienced them, and just like the sea, just like the, the the sailor on the angry sea, and been able to navigate the ship effectively, he has to has to have had experience that in some capacity before, in order to be successful. And I just continue it then when I say that the kind of hardship that's not plain sailing, like a ship sailing on angry sea, when just past the horizon there's brighter skies and calmer seas. I've heard it being said that a calm sea never made a skillful sailor, and to that I compare the sea to life and the sailor to you. And what I guess I'm getting at there in the middle of that, that, that line is when I say, when just past the horizon there's brighter skies and calmer seas, is that the majority of people will give up just before that moment of success is about to happen. They may have been pushing at something for 
a number of years. It might be a career change. It might be a business. It could be uh, music. It could be anything that they've put, they've thrown their life and their soul and everything they have into that, that one act, that one project, that one business. And it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. But just beyond that point of wanting to give up is where the success could potentially lie. But they'll never know that if they don't keep going through it. And just like this, the the skillful sailor on the on the angry seas, he can't ever get to smooth seas if he doesn't go through the angry sea first. And I guess that was a really I felt that was a really powerful way of, of summing that understanding of of how we perceive hard times up by using the um, the analogy of the skillful sailor. And I also wanted to write something that would ask questions, that would make someone stop and think. And I guess the next few paragraphs, they almost. I guess they almost paint a thought experiment by asking, what if someone did attempt suicide but they survived? Why did they survive? Now let's forget about the medicines and the possible machinery and let's ask some deep philosophical questions. You know, I, I've been in a situation before, I've heard it and I'm sure you've heard it, that we've, you know, someone's come along or someone's been in hospital and someone's been ill and the nurse has said, he's fighting or she's fighting. Or you see message of support that state, keep fighting. But I'd be asking the question, well, what is it that's doing that fighting? I'm not talking about the antibodies that the, the hospital or the nurse will stick in you or the medicines that they give you or the support machines that they've got all around you. There has to be something deeper. There has to be something philosophically deeper. Because, again, you've, you've heard it been said before where somebody might have been, the, the doctors and the nurses have done everything they can for somebody or they perceive in a way that they've done everything they can for them and all of a sudden they make a miraculous recovery. So what is it? What is it that, that does that fighting? What keeps you fighting? So... That's whenever I say that Marcus Aurelius once said that think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take what's left and live it properly. What doesn't transmit light creates its own darkness. Just as the light pushes out darkness, I ask what sparks this? What spark lights the ignition to reinvention? Why does this reinvention live outside of our comprehension? Think about it like this. When the light of life is close to being extinguished, it flickers unpredictably in an unplanned dance, serving to provide one last chance. What keeps it alight? Is it the fight to not let the darkness descend in an attempt to cancel the end of a life? Is it memories being passed to the conscious, throwing fuel to the fire, allowing time for those memories to be admired? And that this admiration for memories provides an incentive to keep fighting, whilst providing hope that days like this will once again still exist. As those memories fight their way to the fore, they see the light shine from under the proverbial door, lighting the path along the way, moving towards a better day. In their own individualized ways, are these the sparks that help light the ignition to reinvention? Now I realize that there's a lot to take in with that, and that's essentially the thought experiment wrapped up really. That's asking a lot of questions. Well, if someone is fighting and the light of life is slowly ebbing and flowing and, and, and getting duller and dimmer and all of a sudden they do make that recovery. What is it that sparks it? What is it that, that, that increases the size of that flame, if you like, if you want to go with that candle analogy? What is it that, that, that gives them that strength to keep pushing, fighting and, and, and moving forward? From just my own thinking and my own research around the Stoicism and the Stoic way of thinking, could it potentially be that it's memories that keep us pushing forward, that it's, it's almost like a longing to once again go back there so that the body stays alert, the mind stays alert in the hope that when they do open their eyes, they're back in those times where they had such joy and such happiness. 
Is is that what it is? Is that is that the fuel? As I I've, as I ask in the poem, is that the fuel that lights that fire that keeps it going? That keeps us, or not us, but it keeps someone who's potentially in that situation pushing forward to want to once again feel what it like feels feel that joy feel what it's like to find those moments and is that that the difference for those who slip away is the fact that maybe they don't have that desire they don't have that desire to come back i'm i'm not saying that's the case i am only i'm only guessing through my own (laughs) through my own thoughts here i'm only i'm only putting it out there just basically spitballing it as a way of of getting through this whole thought process but I guess you can see what I'm trying to do there you you can see that I'm trying to ask questions I'm trying to get the listener or the reader to stop and think for themselves well what actually is it what do I believe as I attempt now as I attempt to bring the poem full circle if we are to accept that society has its dark and hurtful tendencies and we want to protect ourselves from those then how do we do it I wanted to generally present an alternative to the listener. Something that they could use to help themselves or someone that they may know that's struggling. I didn't just want to chuck it out there and make it rhyme and then that would be it, right? I wanted to have some purpose to it and some meaning and something somebody could actually use for good. And that's why I quote an adapted version of the Serenity Prayer, which was used heavily by the Stoics. Really to push the point that we often spend most of our time worrying about things that we can't control. Usually these are what we use to taint our own worldview. We begin to devalue ourselves and we subconsciously move ourselves into a lower social class, often one of unworthiness. But we spend too long getting caught up in the opinions of others. And quite often, we end up using the opinions of others as our own. But what if there is an alternative? What if there is something that can be done to help guide us to a more self-loving self? And that's whenever I say, Now let's turn our attentions to the reinvention. A life lived cannot be unlived, and to move forward one must be able to accept the sorrow and once again borrow from the Stoics. To have the serenity to accept the things that can't be changed, live with the propensity to change the things that can be changed, and with the wisdom to know the difference. Remember, you're not a victim. Now it was my aim to finish the poem, I guess, with a a more poignant reminder of the damaging and lasting effect that the words and actions that you have, can have on somebody else. And I could think of no other more devastating human behaviour whilst I was doing that bit of research on on wildlife, on, on our nature and, and on our world and deforestation. The very act of removing living conditions for many thousands of species, if not more than that, for the selfish benefit of just one, us humans. The lands of many countries around the world have been scarred by deforestation, just like so many human hearts have been scarred and hurt and charred by the words and actions of another. And winding the poem up then to ask that question, to put that to the fore, I kind of ask, will we ever know the answers? And that's the answer to that, what what sparks reignition to the invention? I, I, I guess not. But let's not forget that by stigmatizing and stereotyping, like mass characterization, just as deadly is deforestation, it will leave our ground charred and our hearts scarred. Now, if you've listened this far, uh, I thank you for doing that because I do understand it gets quite deep. Uh, but I, I guess I, I wanted to do that, wanted to jump on because I've written, I don't know about, I've written more than nine, but I've published nine. And there's not really much of 
information or context behind them. And I guess when I first started out, I didn't really want to give a lot of context. I wanted the person and, and you guys, if you're listening and, and watching the poems, I wanted you to try and engage with it yourself and try and ask yourself some questions. Do I agree with what he's saying? Is what he's saying right? Um, is what he's saying, does it have any worth? Does it have any value? But I guess with this one in particular, because it has so much so much depth to it and so much uh, personal personal meaning and experience wrapped up in it, I think I, I almost owe it to, to the listeners and to the readers and as, as a way of saying, you know, this wasn't just put together. These aren't just put together just to make them rhyme, just to, to make them sound good. There is meaning behind them and there's a lot of thought that goes in behind it and if you can take that away from it and then when you go listen to somebody else's poetry or when you look on YouTube or or whatever it is, whenever somebody else is speaking about an art form that they're passionate about and they give you something of theirs that they've made, then maybe just by listening to this episode you might be a bit more appreciative of of the effort and the the background work that goes into it. Now, I'm not saying for a second that I've done this purely for that reason. What I'm saying, and, and you're going to go away and say, oh, I understand that because I listen to Gary's podcast. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is often we get caught up with the assumption that social media is is negative and everything that's been spread on social media is there to to put us in boxes, to keep us controlled, to feed us information that we then regurgitate and bring us back to social media platforms. So the more time that we engage in it, the more money they make through advertising, blah, 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 blah. That's one big vicious cycle. Now, it probably is to an extent that respect. But when you see somebody else putting out something that they have put a lot of hours in, a lot of research into, a lot of thought into, we can sometimes go, okay, yeah, let's like that. Make a little comment, say brilliant, thumbs up, and then push it on without even giving that second thought. I've done it plenty of times, and I'm sure, I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, if you're listening, I'm sure if you're honest with yourself, you've done it before yourself. So I guess I'm probably rambling on by this stage, but um, yeah, so I hope you've enjoyed it. You can get a lot more of the poetry at the website. That's www.thinkcuriously.com. There's a hyphen in there, think-curiously.com. You can also support the podcast as well using our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash thinkcuriouslypodcast. So once again, thank you for listening and we will see you sometime soon.